focus about a couple things with you guys, first of all today. How many singers in the house tonight? You would say you're a singer. All right. Really, that, that's it? None of the rest of you? How many sing at least in the shower? I mean, privately, you, you enjoy singing. Okay. How many have been told that you're not quite the singer, maybe, by friends or family, people who love you? How many of you have watched American Idol and wished someone who cared about these people would tell them ahead of time? Yes. You know, and it's what we do. We love our kids, and we just encourage them. You, want, you tell them they can do anything. But at some point, they need to be told, this is probably not your gifting, and there's other things that you're probably good at, but just not this thing. Um, and I don't know about you, but we, um, <laughs> I grew up in a home where there was a lot of singing. My dad was a singer. He sang in the Navy. He sang all the time. And so I grew up, we heard musicals a lot in my house growing up. There were, um, my dad had a reel-to-reel uh, tape, you know, um, tape player. And pretty much the only thing on there was like Montovani. Has anybody ever heard of that? Kind of that era of music. And then musicals. And the first movie I ever saw, I think, was Sound of Music. You know, and my son, he gets so annoyed by that kind of thing, Theo. He's like, nobody does that. That's not real. Nobody acts like that in real life. So I thought I would just share a couple of those, you know, with you. So this is from Singing in the Rain. Can anybody tell me before we even show this who's in this? Anybody know? Gene Kelly. All right, who else? Donald O'Connor. Wow, you are good. You just saw it last week. <laughs> Donald O'Connor. Wow, because when I looked at it, I was thinking it was one of those other famous guy singers. Who's And Debbie Reynolds, right? Man, you're on it. Okay, check this hey. out. See how realistic, hey, true to life this is. You know, it may be crazy, but we're going to do it. I mean, look how well the they're dressed Cavalier still. is now a musical. Hallelujah! I feel this is my lucky day, March 23rd. Oh, oh no, your lucky day is the 24th. I mean the 24th. It's 1.30 already. It's morning. Yes. And they would look like that at 1.30 in the morning. A lovely morning. Good morning. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. <laughs> Sorry again. I mean, d- d- whose life is like that, for real? Yours is? Every moment? Okay. All right, so Theo, he gets really, really annoyed. Like, that does not happen. And there's times where, now, my, in my house, my girls live this life at times. Not all the time, but sometimes. That's the way, their reality. They would love to walk around and sing like that, and that would be more their reality. But I thought hey. this, this was an interesting clip, too. That's that little girl in the front row. goes on for like 10 minutes. I'm not going to expose you to the whole thing, but I just wanted you to see the next one. Isn't that amazing? And that little girl? Isn't 
All right, that's enough. All right, so uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> public singing doesn't happen all that much anymore. Have you noticed? It used to be. Does anybody grew up in a home like that where you did hear a lot? Is it just me? But anybody else grew up like that? Really? Just a few of you? I mean, but we do live in a society today that is not as common. It's a little more unusual. And you might have a singer here or there. Or you might have people in your home that sing or whatever, but... That's how I grew up. I mean, we sang in the car on the way to church. Anywhere we went, we sang. We sang worship songs. We sang, we sang those songs. We sang whatever. Uh, we sang in the youth group, of course, growing up. Um, I remember the first time I led worship, some, I, I forget what was happening, but for some reason in our church, it was shaped much like this, and the youth room was actually the basement, and for, I had been sent on an errand by the youth pastor to grab something, so I was walking through the lobby and in my church on a Wednesday night, what would happen is the pastor did a Bible study, and then the seniors pastor would lead, we called it, do you remember what we called it? Song service, remember? Anybody, really, you don't remember? Song service. And he grabbed me, the, the seniors pastor grabbed me in the lobby and said, Dennis, lead the song service for me. <laughs> I've got to go make a hospital call. And he handed me the hymnal. And I said, well, what do you mean to sing? He goes, well, pick out three songs on your way up there. That's what we did. Does anybody remember that? That's how it was. And what was fun about those days, too, is the piano player just would play with whatever you were doing. It didn't even matter. It was crazy. It was just that's how it was. But it's different that way than today. That, I actually met Nicole because she sang in a wedding. No, she didn't. Actually, I'm just joking. She played the piano in the wedding. I thought she was the singer, and there's a long story behind that, but she wasn't. She was the piano player, which was better. But bottom line, Theo's right. People don't walk through life singing like that, do they? I mean, this just doesn't happen. And you might sing here or there, but for the most part, most of us are spectators when it comes to music, aren't we? You might hum along with a song in the car, or there might be some songs you know, or depending on what you listen to on the radio, you might be familiar with it. You might sing along, but for the most part, we're consumers of music, aren't we? And that's kind of what we do. We're, 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 just, we're part of it, but, but at a distance. And music is, is interesting because music moves people in a way that not very many things do. I mean, music really does speak to people and we, we don't watch a lot of those shows, but, but a lot of times we'll watch the beginning of American Idol or the beginning of America's Got Talent because that's the most funniest part to me. But as you're watching that, I'm always amazed at the singers who will get up and they'll say, why do you want to do this? Are you next, America's next uh, American Idol or whatever? And they'll say, yes. And they'll say something like, Amer- music is my life. And I look at them and I think, wow, that's amazing. It's amazing in a lot of ways. Either is it really your life? Because if it is, that's amazing. But then is that all your life is, is music too? Because I don't know, it's, it's interesting. But it, it just shows you that it speaks to people. Have you noticed how you can memorize a song and not even try it if it's in music? And there's songs you know every word to from maybe when you're in high school or even younger just because you heard it in music. It's amazing. Music... Music reaches to a part of our soul and our psyche that's, that's different than anything else. I mean, how many of you have ever gotten a song stuck in your head? I was hoping, hoping that maybe one of those I played would get stuck in your head just, just so you'd remember this night. That's what I was hoping. Have you ever noticed this? That music preaches sermons and 
skips right past your consciousness. Have you noticed that? You, you may not have noticed, but there's times where you would sing lyrics that you really don't believe in. But it's a song. And it slipped right by you. And there's times where songs can even do that, where they, they preach a message that, that may be even against your Christian beliefs, but because it's in song, it's floating in your mind and in your head and starting to challenge your belief system. And styles of music speak to different people. You know, they, you know, there's been study after study done on this kind of thing about how country music tells stories more than other forms of music in a way. And it, and it relates to people's life experiences and loss and deep heartache. And I mean, it does. You know, in pop music, whatever era you're in has its pop music and the adults usually don't like it and young people like it and there's a rebellion to it and you know you've got certain styles of music that keep coming back over and over and you've got rap music i never thought it would last and here it is still all these years later and soul and r&b and jazz and gospel i mean there's all these kinds of music did i miss any of your kinds what i miss classical is that your music no, you, I just missed it. Okay. D- whose music did I miss? What did I miss? Nothing? Salsa? Did you say salsa? Really? Okay. <laughs> Bluegrass, rock and roll. Okay. Yeah. What else did I miss? Rockabilly? Okay. Now you're getting real specific. Okay. All right. Well, here, here it's interesting because we just, we just did something together a few minutes ago that's a very powerful thing have you noticed that that there's a another level which music gets to when we do it together do you notice that i i love obviously i think we all do you know someone who's a good soloist maybe it's a voice that's just you know a spectacular voice what are some spectacular voices you know i mean just some famous solo voices (laughs) sandy patty larnell harris okay you know, I heard somebody say Dion. Who? Oh, Celine Dion, yeah. Barbara Streisand, okay. Christina Aguilera, yep. Say it again. Oh, Loretta Lynn, okay. Yep, Whitney Hughes. Okay, you, you know, those are obviously really familiar voices, but there's something amazing, I think, when you hear... When, like, you know how it is when you've heard two people sing, and maybe individually their voices are good, but it's, it's not necessarily the spectacular solo voice, but maybe they're a brother, sister, or sister's team, and the harmony, the, the blend of the voices somehow goes together in a, in a way that takes it to another level. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or maybe when two people, or, or maybe three or four or more, achieve a harmony that's so intricate and you just step back and think, oh my goodness, that's amazing. And it takes it to another level. There's something about it too when, I don't know if you've heard before, like when maybe a group will sing even an acapella, well there's another form that it just has a power to it when they're all together, maybe in the same notes even, but the power of multiple voices. How many of you have ever heard a, a men's choir, maybe a military men's choir, and there's just a power to it. Kind of like us when we worship together. That adds a dimension to our experience that takes things to a level. And that's, that's not by accident. 
It's not by accident. It's something I believe that God designed into our human nature. And we as Christians in the Christian church, we've been taking advantage of for a long time. To me, what it does is it, it takes us from just being a consumer or an observer to we, we actually participate together in creating something different together. Now, on a Wednesday night, you know, we're all sitting far apart. And that's something when I first came to Crow Point, I was shocked. I, I asked Pastor Newby, why do you let people sit so far apart? Because we're not going to do this tonight or even probably in the future. But just let me tell you from experience, if you would all come together and sing, like not sit so far apart, but actually maybe fill in the middle part of these first five rows, you would actually add a whole nother dimension to this worship together experience. It's powerful. It's an amazing thing that God has put in us and created music to do. And I believe it's intentional. I believe he's the kind of creative God that he gives us those kind of things that relate to us in a way that speak to our heart and soul and go past our consciousness, and he does it on purpose. I think about when you worship together, you, you become, it's different. You're, you're no longer kind of a client, but you become almost an owner of what we're creating together. You're, you're part of this thing. You don't have to be a good singer. I mean, some, some of you, most of you said you're not singers. You don't have to be. Because it's not about that. I mean, the Bible even talks about make a joyful noise to the Lord. Not that your singing is noise. But there's something powerful about you participating with your brothers and sisters in Christ and communicating together this message. It's intentional. He did it on purpose that way. Something inside of us shifts. Studies show that the average American listens to 25 hours of music a week. If you do the math, that's a lot. I, I personally don't. I enjoy music. I just don't. But I know young people who never, unless they're told not to or made not to, are never away from music. It's always playing in the background while they're studying. And it used to be, you know, as parents, we'd tell them, hey, stop. You know, the music's, you know, you, you can't concentrate with that on. But now st studies actually say that some people's brains have been trained to study better with that. It's, and if they can't study without it, it's kind of weird how that goes back and forth. And it's kind of like, I guess, science on coffee. You never know what's true anymore because it, they change it every other day. But um, anyway, that's out there. I think about this, too. I don't know how many of you have been. Um, who here has been to a concert before? Maybe with a familiar singer. I went, I went and heard James Taylor years and years and years ago. And I was so annoyed. Can anybody guess why I was annoyed? People were singing along so loud, I couldn't hear James Taylor. And I played, prayed to hear him sing, not all of these people surrounding me. And I'm looking around, and I'm, I'm really I'm getting annoyed because James Taylor, they didn't sound like James Taylor, let me just say. They knew every word. They had every inflection correct. They had the timing down perfect. I'm talking the whole arena. It was ridiculous. You know, you know what was happening there? They, they were sharing in something where it was weird. It was like they were all friends. I mean, I was looking around, and I was probably the only one feeling this, and maybe it's just me. But they were like, yeah, yeah, we're singing this together. We know this. It's like, you don't know each other? You're just sharing this one thing, and because of that, that's what music does. I mean, they knew every word. 
Remember when Prince passed away a few months ago? I was watching some of those news reports, and they were, this is, to, to me, it's interesting. I mean, Michael Jackson passed away, how long ago was that? Five, eight years ago? They said that, that there were more comments online, twice as many about Prince as there were about Michael Jackson. I would have thought Michael Jackson would have been bigger. And maybe he was. I don't know. Maybe it was just the time delay and technology. But what I noticed, again, it reminded me of that James Taylor concert because there were strangers linking arms on street corners all across America singing songs by Prince. I thought, what in the world? And they all talked about he was such an innovator and he had this and this song. You know, it was, it was the song of my high school. Grad. I mean, whatever, all these things. And they felt a common bond there over a singer who God knows where his faith was and where he was about. It's interesting, though, how that works. You know, singing has been part of the church since the beginning of the church. And that's because it's been part of humanity since the beginning of time. Humans have communicated and done this forever. Jews sang. We, have, we actually have fragments of early Christian hymns and songs from the first century, some of them older than the fragments of actual scripture of songs. And, you know, the Romans, there, there are quite a few Roman historians who commented on the Christian religion. And one of the comments they talked about in one of the writings, they talk about the Christians. It says the Christians were known to get up before dawn and sing hymns together. Isn't that interesting? It's what we do. Because it's what humanity does. Uh, the ancient world sang a lot. How many are Lord of the Rings fans? Anybody read the books? Remember how many ridiculously long songs are in the book? Because that's part of culture of a lot of cultures. It's just how it was. And for some of these cultures, it was about memorizing um, your history. For some of them, it was, it was you know, joining them together with a common experience. But it's something that has always been part of who we are. What I want to do now is take you to a portion of scripture we looked at last week, but I want to emphasize a different part of it, and that's Colossians 3.16. So if we look at it together, it says, let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. Now, last week we talked about that fill your lives part because in, in uh, some translations it says dwell in you richly. And we talked about how the idea was that he needs to be at fully at home in you. He needs to be able to kick his feet up and relax and be at home in your whole life, even in your unfinished basement we talked about last week. But here I want to emphasize a different part. It says teach and counsel one another with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Thankful hearts. I love that part. I love that part. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I don't know about you, but some people wouldn't maybe necessarily expect that to be in the Bible. They might, um, they might think that, you know, it's, I don't know, that, it, that it, it, it's out of place because that belongs in the Old Testament in Psalms, maybe. But it's not. It's part of who they were. Now, as I mentioned, the Jews sang... And maybe you, maybe you didn't know this, but the Jewish synagogue service is very similar to the Christian service. And most Christian services that you go to around the world are very similar. Do you know why that is? Because the early Christians were Jews first. And they took their synagogue service and turned it into a celebration of Christ and kept it pretty much the same. 
So in our services, what are some of the elements we always do? What do we do in church? We've done it tonight. We, we sing, right? What else do we do? We pray. What else do we do? I hear we take money. <laughs> Thanks. Yes, we do. Uh, communion. Yeah, what else? We praise. We, we have a preacher. And we also read scripture, right? Those elements are pretty much the same. And they were in the synagogue. And we transferred them directly into the early church. The Jews sang hymns. As, and you know the book of Psalms is full of songs for different purposes. So those are no different than what we have done. But there is a difference in the Christian uh, form of church as opposed to, for instance, the way the pagans did church. Did you know the pagans did it too? Can you hear the rain? Okay, I thought, I thought we might skip some rain till later tonight, but I feel bad for the youth out there. But um, <laughs> Let me just say this. In the, in the pagan world of the first century, it was common for them to have a choir or a group that would sing and sing a song as an offering to their pagan god. They would do that. But so let me ask you a question. I'm, I'm asking you for answers tonight. What would make that any different than what we did? I think you know the answer, but you're afraid to say it. But. Well, it is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The, the difference is Jesus. The difference is Jesus is the focus. The difference is that Christianity is re- radically, radically different than any faith ever, ever was and ever was certainly at that time remarkably different. The difference is we don't sing songs just about him. Certainly we have songs about him, but we sing songs directly to him, directly to him. That makes it a totally different experience. Some people have tried to say, like even in this verse we looked at a second ago, that, um, that there's differences in the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and that you might say, for instance, some people have said this, that that praise is when you talk about God, and then worship is when you talk to him. And, and there may be some truth to that, I don't know. But I, but I think we would all agree that singing a song about God is really cool, but then singing a song to him takes it to a different level of intimacy. <laughs> it's different, isn't it? Because you are actually inviting Jesus into a place in your heart in that intimate communion in song that is different than anything else. Now, I, I, I know as a Christian, and we talk about prayer a lot, and I, I know that you pray to, to God directly. But when you're singing these songs to him, it has something to do with how he made us and how music communicates in a different way. And, and obviously, this is different for different people. Some people are more attuned musically than others, perhaps. But the fact is, I know people who have been healed in worship. Before they even expressed their prayer, God, as they were communing with him, there was a communication happening where he was speaking to their spirit and healing them, even physically, but even emotionally, before they even were able to voice the request. That is the power of worship, Christian worship, that's different than anything you're going to see anywhere else. It, the, the reason is because he, he's the total focus. And if we tie it into what we talked about last week, I think about this. You know, there's times where you walk into different layouts and different houses, and you can tell almost what they focus on, can't you? I know my mother-in-law, she's got issues with how a lot of houses are designed, and I think every house we've ever owned was designed this way, where the, where the garage was out front. 
Why is a garage out front? I mean, that's, that's ugly. Why, why, you should have something else out front. I mean, it's, it's almost like you're saying the car is the most important thing. Or you walk into a home and, I mean, is the TV the focus? Or is it, is it the, the living room where conversation is the focus? Or, or maybe in your house, regardless of those rooms, the kitchen is the focus. And that's where your, your community and life happens. So the question is, in your worship, is he really the focus? <laughs> that's a lot of rain. Is he the focus? It, it's different because it changes it from just the content of the words and it becomes more about the relationship that's happening. The relationship is what matters. And, in, and it becomes less and less about the song. And of course, we want good worship and we want great musicians and we have all that. But it's way beyond that. Not to get too weird about this, but think about love songs for a minute. Anybody here ever sung a love song to their wife or girlfriend? Or Ken? That, that does not surprise me, my brother. <laughs> I, I couldn't think of it off the top of my head for some reason. I don't know about you guys, but I was thinking, I mean, you, you know, probably heard a lot of songs about a girl, right? You, I, I can think a lot of those. But then ones that are directly to somebody... I, the only one I could think of was that Annie song, that John Denver song. Do you remember that? You fill up my senses. Remember that? I can't even remember the rest of it. But that's intense. That, that, is, that is another level of intensity, and the same is true with our worship. When you're, when you're no longer just talking about God, but you're talking to him, you're telling him things that, that normally would be in a prayer, but you're singing them, and they get into your heart and your mind and your soul. He goes to a deep place like that. (laughs) You know what else happens? I think this is awesome. A lot of times in worship, I find that we sing words we don't even mean yet. We want to mean them, but they're really prayers more than anything. Because we can't fully realize the grandiose claims that our songs say. I, I... we were short-handed in the media room, so I was back there doing the songs, and it gave me a great chance to grab these for tonight. Um, this first song we sang, Everlasting God, it's kind of about God. It comes from Scripture. It says, strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Um, it says, our God, you reign forever. The everlasting God, you do not faint. You will not go rid. The defender of the weak, comfort those who need. You lift us up on eagles' wings. Then this next song we sang... As we sang it, and in light of what I knew we were talking about tonight, I was catapulted back to the very first time I heard this song. I was actually, it was my first time ever in Missouri, and I was involved in the youth pastors. They used to do a conference in Springfield for the Assembly of God Youth Pastors, and, and um, that's the first time I ever heard the song. The guy who wrote it, Paul Beloche, was there and sang it. And um, it was, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Th- this is a prayer that... We probably all should pray every single day. But, but there's something about singing it when you, you're pleading with God himself and you say, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. I want to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. And it says, pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. And then we literally sing holy, 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 which are the exact words that we're told in the book of Revelation that the... That the we don't know what they are even. The celestial beings up there are singing nonstop to God. You, you are entering into a level of communication and intimacy with God that is way different than me just praying words. 
we, um, Nicole's got an uncle. He, um, he was always irritated by choruses, Uncle Arnold. And because I was a minister, every time I would, we would see each other, he would give me his opinion on that and want to know what I thought. Because hymns, he would tell me, you know, are more theological. And um, I remember one time, I, w- I wasn't trying to tweak him. I was really trying to change his mind and heart. But I realized that was impossible at his age and attitude. But I just said, really, can you get more theological than telling God how holy he is? I mean, really? Holy, holy, holy. This last song we sang, um, I mean, next to the last song, the I Surrender All. I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. That is a prayer I don't know that we can fully realize. And I, I don't think it's wrong to pray this when you're struggling with this, because I feel like we're praying it and singing it to him as a request to him, the king of kings who can alter and change our heart. And we are basically begging him to make us, make this real for us. All to Jesus, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him and in his presence daily live. God, I want that to be true. Uh, The rest of these songs were all directly, your grace is enough. You're, You're talking right to him. At your word, I will believe. I wait for you, draw near again. Let your spirit make me new. I will fall at your feet and I will worship you here. That's powerful. God does it on purpose. He does it on purpose. Let me, let me just reemphasize this point. There's power in numbers. There's a power when we do this together. It's different. Whether you're singing a chorus and repeating those phrases over and over, or you are singing a hymn that's very theological. Re- regardless of what it is, the fact is that as you're singing those things at, together, you're, you're, you're uniting in a way that, that is different than if you're just doing it by yourself. And maybe you've experienced this before, maybe you haven't. But one thing I always have loved is as, as powerful as it is for this group to singing together. And like I said, if we were all even closer together, it'd be more powerful. One of the fun things about going to men's retreat, for instance, and I know it will be true for the women's retreat as well. When you're then singing with 400 men, oh my goodness, sometimes I just stop and listen. Because it's powerful. It's powerful. And I've seen this happen over and over, like especially when I was a youth pastor, and I would see, you know, young people where you're just pulling them to worship and respond and raise their hands and get into this. And then you go to like a youth convention or a camp, and when they're looking around and there's hundreds of other kids doing it, boy, they are there. It's awesome. God does that on purpose. He does it in a way that, that we respond deeper. And when Paul, in that scripture we looked at, he's, he mentioned those songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, something we need to keep in mind. He, he may not have been talking about different kinds of worship songs. He might have been, but he may not have been. Because it's a Jewish thing to, to use repetition and to say, holy, holy, holy means something's really holy. And for them to repeat, just like we would do, to use different phrases. Or if anybody, oh, you speak Spanish. If I were to say, nada nunca jamás, wouldn't that be really, really, that would be a lot of emphasis, right? Because that means no, never, ever <laughs> in Spanish, right? It'd be the same thing as him saying, sing in, in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know what he's saying? Use all those things and worship me. 
That's what he's saying. And do it together because there's power when we do it together. He wants us to do that. And the fact is, the answer is always Jesus. Christianity, one of the things that separates Christianity from any other faith is it's not just about what Jesus taught. Certainly, his teaching is powerful. And the world, a lot of times, is comfortable with pointing to his teachings because, because really, they can point to anybody's teachings. And that, and that way, they can say, he's just a good teacher, just like Confucius or Buddha or anybody else. But the fact is, Jesus didn't give us that option. You, you know, as a Christian, he did not give us that option. Because Jesus said, he, he went further than that. He said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Not just my teachings, Jesus himself. That was the reason, that was the excuse they used to crucify him, that he was blaspheming because he claimed to be God. And he did it over and over and over. And one of the biggest ways he did it is he, he claimed a uniqueness and he accepted worship for that uniqueness. The book of John records eight different times he uses the, the, the very special Jewish phrase, I am the name that God gave Moses to call him where he said, I am that I am. So eight times in the book of John, he uses that phrase. He says, he says um, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. He says, before Abraham was, I am. He says, I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. Probably the most important one, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's why our worship is so different, because we don't just worship about him. We worship him, who he is, his very person. We worship him. We worship him. It's amazing. And because of that, it transcends all culture. It transcends all time. It doesn't really matter if it's a song that's from the 1800s or the 1970s or the 2016s. If it's about Jesus, it's about worship, and we can get with that. It's all about attitude. In, in those verses right there, he, he ties thankfulness in right at the end there. He says, let the message about Christ and all his riches fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And then in the very next verse, he says, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. Through God the Father. It's all about thankfulness. You see, in pagan worship, which the, the early Christians would have been so familiar with, you have, to, you have to almost really, it's hard sometimes for us as Christians to understand pagan worship because our, our only point of reference and what we're used to is this Christian worship. See, pagan deities, they, they were so different. I mean, if you, if you think about the Greek gods and if you studied that at all, they were, they were all divas and petulant children. You remember they, they fought and they had petty disagreements and they, they did stupid things to each other. And you had to bring sacrifices to appease them. And even then, there was no guarantee it would last. And the best you could hope for was some good luck. That's it. But what we have is a God who comes to us, who generously frees us from sin. And you can't give him anything he needs. He doesn't need food from you. He doesn't need a song from you. He doesn't need any of that. The fact is he loves because he's a loving God and he gives you love freely. And then our response to him is full gratitude. We, can't, we don't appease him. We don't earn our way to him. We don't work our way to him. None of that is the case. 
The fact is, everything, our worship comes to him in a genuine form of genuine thankfulness. We're thankful because he's kind and merciful. We're thankful because he found us where he were and took us to where we are. We're thankful because if we were deep in sin, he took us out of that. He forgave us. He gave us a clear conscience. And that, that provokes us to gratitude. We don't try to curry favor with him. We don't, we don't try to appease him. There's nothing we try to do to make it any better. <laughs> the fact is that our response to him and our worshiping together changes the very atmosphere of a room. There may have been times, in fact, where you've walked in and felt that energy and wondered, what's going on here? And what it is, is it's Christians making a, a relationship with him that is different than anything else. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we, we do have a storm coming, and I guess sirens are coming up, going off. So, um, like, how close are they? But is it going away from us or toward us? Okay, well, in that case. Here's, here's what I want to close with you guys in. Don't ever, ever let your worship be something that is stilted or less than. Know that you are making a connection with him in a way that is deep and spiritual at every moment. Sing every word with the depth of meaning, all the depth of meaning that you can muster in the name of Jesus. All right, let's do this. Um, what we try to do is, <laughs> Pastor Jeremy texted me and he said, hey, it, there will be snow cones at the end. The guy's parked under the awning out here. <laughs> that was a different probably text than what er, uh, Eric's telling us right now. So yeah, we are under a warning. Um, our safe areas are the restrooms that are right over here and then also in the kids' inner ring right there. And then the... Um, the kitchen or PJ's classroom. So if you guys want to go to those areas, you're welcome to do that right now. So God bless you tonight. Amen.